0: Let me take just a moment to introduce our our guest speaker this morning really quickly. Some of you have probably already gotten to meet my uh, brother-in-law, Brendan, and his wife, Taylor. They've visited us several times, and uh, if you weren't here when they've been here with us, maybe this morning you at least got a chance to say hello. But I want to share just a little bit about them this morning before Brendan comes to share the Word of God with us. Brendan's an ordained minister, currently serving as the associate pastor of Faith Church in Peru, Illinois. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Church Leadership from Evangel University, which he had to get from Evangel University because he is Malia's younger brother. So we graduated out as the last class of CBC before consolidation. Brendan was a student at the time, but he was one of the groups of students who had to go over to EU. And so we try not to hold it against him. He's an EU grad, you know, not CBC like the rest of us, but he, uh, he earned his degree there and has been serving in ministry positions since then. His wife, Taylor, is also an EU graduate. She has her Bachelor of Arts actually in youth ministry. And then she just completed her Master of Arts in Teaching for Elementary Education this week so she has uh, finished that degree yeah she's been working in the school systems up there in Illinois uh, for the last several years while doing that degree and we're praying she'll get a full-time position this fall uh, and so looking forward to her being able to teach in the classroom and you know there's I have tons and tons of teachers in here so they all know what that's like I'm sure they'll be praying for you to get the right position when uh, Brendan and Taylor were here last in December I, I mentioned this before it's kind of a bonus for us to um, to spend some time with them, since they're in ministry there in Illinois, and, and with Paul and Cindy's work in the district, often he's traveling and preaching in different places, too, and of course, I'm here with you every week pastoring this church. We, uh, as a family, don't get a lot of, of weekends together, and so at the end of December, when they said, hey, we, we've got this opportunity to come down and, and uh, spend some time with you guys, it was, it was great. We really enjoyed getting to worship together, uh, but Brendan had been preaching quite a bit of the Advent series at their own church, and so when it kind of came about this last minute, hey, we're going to have this, this time together, I didn't want to ask him him on such short notice to, to be preaching there so much and then come here and speak but uh, as we were together we talked about you know maybe it'd be a possibility for him to come and preach here once Noah got here and we could kind of wrap it all in this is how it, you know works in, in ministry life you got to kind of Tie it all together. So he asked his lead pastor, Steve, if he would be willing to let him have a, a weekend to come preach somewhere else and get a chance to meet Noah uh, once he got here and, and Steve graciously agreed. And so that has been good. I know he got one call at least this morning because something wasn't working already. But that's ministry life. So, you know, he's upstairs in the house trying to walk them through how to fix the problems. And I've been there to know what that's like. But uh, he got to come this morning, and uh, I asked him, well, would you come, and would you share from the Word of God with us? And that's what he's, he's going to do. So would you help me welcome uh, Brendan to the pulpit this morning, and let's pray that uh, the Lord would speak through him this morning.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, good morning, church family. Good
0: to see you all.
1: I've been with my family, and it's so nice that now I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's good to be here. It's such a joy to be with you all this morning. You know, I was given some thought. This is a unique opportunity. Do I have any embarrassing stories about my sister? But I gotta be honest, she, just about her, never Isaiah, but I gotta be honest, she's been 30 since she's been 13. She's so mature, she really doesn't have a whole lot that she has more on me, so I better not even go there. She would would get her revenge, I'm sure. I'll tell you one, it's short. I remember growing up, we were in Alaska together, but before that, we were in Decorah, Iowa, where we spent our early childhood years. We were outside playing, doing what little kids do. I don't remember any of the details outside of the fact that there came a beautiful moment where she offered me a piece of candy. Said, hey, close your eyes and open your mouth and I'll give you a piece of candy. I thought, this is so nice, so unexpected. We're outside, I should have put two and two together, but she dropped a dead bug in my mouth and made me eat it. I was not pleased. So that's one instance she gave into temptation, but since that time, she's (laughs) repented. She's all better now. We're thankful for that. It is a joy for my wife, Taylor, and I to be with you today. Truly excited for this opportunity. I do want to thank Pastor Isaiah and Malia and the church leadership for allowing me to come and to share God's word with you. You know, as I was praying about what God might have me share, I was praying about this opportunity and praying for your church. I really felt that I was praying, and as I was doing that, my prayer was that God would lead you into an incredibly fruitful season, where you would see the hand of God at work everywhere that you look, not only individually, but collectively as a church as well, that everywhere you'd look, you'd see God is at work in my life, in our lives, and that you'd be able to see that. My hope and prayer is that as God works in and through this church during this next season and this year, you'd just be able to see evidence of his faithfulness time and time again That's my prayer for you. And I've titled my message this morning, Pursuing the Promises of God. I was so pleased that we got to sing that great hymn, Standing on the Promises. Now we're gonna be able to talk about what it looks like to pursue the promises of God. You know, I'm so thankful for God's word because it is absolutely full to the brim of God telling us what he wants to do for us and in us and through us. It's a beautiful book of promises that he makes available to us. And these promises of God should really enable us to step out in faith, to do all the things that God is calling us to do. There's promises from God given to us all throughout the Bible, and in a world that's ever-changing, his promises to us are constant, and they remain absolutely applicable. No matter our circumstances, no matter the situations we face, whether they're good or bad, we can truly stand on God's promises During our time together, we're going to look at a few best practices from the book of Joshua about how we can see the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. Before we get into that book of of Joshua, I want to talk about what it means to pursue a promise because the concept can be a little interesting. If someone gives you a promise, they tell you that they're going to do something, it's typically up to them to fulfill the promise, right? That's usually how that works. So the thought of pursuing a promise can feel a little bit God. When we recognize that God is promising something to us, we should realize that he's giving us a promise. Therefore, we don't have to earn it. It's not about my works or my deeds. Can I get something from God? But pursuing God's promises is truly about identifying what God says in his word, and then faithfully planting our feet on what God has told us, standing on those promises, and then partnering with him so that we can see his will accomplished In our lives. We can see promises from God to us all throughout scripture. We see what I would call general promises, like how God promises to love us and to be with us and to give us grace and strength and forgiveness, and there's many, many more. But we also see very specific promises, and I won't talk about that too much because that's where we're going to spend most of our time. We're going to see a specific promise regarding the Israelites in the promised land today in our text. And finally, we see what I would call cooperative promises. These are promises where God says, hey, I will do this in response to you partnering with me. So God responds to our cooperation. There's two examples I want to highlight. The first from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a great passage. I'm sure many of you may even have it memorized. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. The next is in Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and heal their land. Do you see the cooperation that takes place here in these passages? God's telling us that when we trust in him and fully lean on him and submit to him, The result is that he will make our paths straight. And then when we humble ourselves, when we seek his face, we repent of our sin. God tells us that we're going to be heard, forgiven, and healed. You know, as Christians, we really need to strike the balance between recognizing that God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us a single thing. There's nothing that we could hope to earn like his favor, is blessing in our lives. We can't earn that by our works or by our deeds, but God is also our Father. And as a good Father, he loves to bless his children when we walk in fellowship with him. When we understand that balance, it, ma- it helps us to make sure we're seeking God's face more than his hands. We want more of God, not just what I think he can do for me. And it helps us to make sure we have an appropriate relationship. Have you ever had somebody break their promise to you? If you have, you know that that can be a truly painful experience. Even if it's a silly promise, I don't like when promises are broken. I remember the the childhood promises of a pinky promise where you link your pinky and that's like a second level of promise, like you can't possibly break those. But even if someone said, I promise to let you go first on the swing set, if you break that promise to me, it hurts. And then, of course, more significant promises when you've experienced relational hurt when someone said they're going to do something and they don't you know how painful that can truly be. We don't have to worry about God breaking his promises. We can trust in the absolute faithfulness of God because he's always faithful. The author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. God's going to do everything that he says he'll do, and his promises are not limited, and they don't have an expiration date. We can truly trust God. I do want to point out quickly that if you're wondering, if you're noticing that the verses on the screen may be different from your Bible, this is the NIV translation versus the English Standard Version, so that's why there may be a difference there. But if we've ever felt uncertain about the faithfulness of God, like, God, can I truly trust you? Can I actually know that you're going to do what you said you'll do? We can look to a staggering amount of, of truth within the word of God. But what I find to be the most significant is in Jesus Christ himself. When we look at Jesus, we can see evidence of God's faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. So Jesus is all the proof that you and I should need to recognize God is faithful. God has promises that are given to us that are going to help us to step out in faith. There may be a time in your life where God gives you a specific promise. He says, I want you to reach out to this person, witness to them, or I want you to take this step of faith. We can trust in God's promises, that we can step out in faith and partner with him to see his will accomplished in our lives. Now that we've talked for a moment about the promises of God, let's look now to the book of Joshua This book serves as an account of the Israelites who, after they had been delivered from Egypt, they end up wandering the desert because of their lack of faith and trust in God. Now they're finally able to enter the land of Canaan, this great promised land, and there they conquer the land and they divide it among themselves. The themes in this book are of God's salvation and his holiness and his faithfulness, and you'll see that all throughout the book of Joshua. If you're getting at all nervous, thinking we're going to go through the entire book, let me put you at ease. We're not going to do that today, but we're going to go to really some select passages from this great book. I want to begin right at the beginning with Joshua 1, 1 through 8. So turn there in your Bibles with me. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 8 says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So right in this text, Joshua is given a very specific promise from God about the land of Canaan. We can also see that there's some general promises where God says he promises to be with them, and then we also see an example of a cooperative promise which is success in response to obedience. As we look at this story, we're going to see that these promises are fulfilled in truly incredible ways. God shows up in their lives in miraculous and just fascinating ways. I used to think about these different Bible characters and these stories you read. I used to think there must be some type of secret ingredient for these, for these Bible characters, for how they're able to see The promises of God fulfilled in their lives. There's got to be some type of secret sauce, but the more that I've learned about it, the more that I've discovered the faithfulness of God in my own life, I've realized that it's really not at all about any type of secret ingredient. Seeing God's promises fulfilled is just the natural result that comes from a right relationship with God. When we partner with God and we live the way that he calls us to live, we'll see his promises fulfilled. When we look at Joshua's life and how he pursued God's promises, we can see three best practices that we'll talk about today that really we can apply to our own lives. So if, like Joshua, we want to see the promises of God fulfilled, our first best practice is to be committed. We need to be committed to God. You know, I don't think that anyone would ever say, oh, that doesn't matter. We don't need to be committed. No one would ever say that. But what about saying it versus seeing that lived out in tangible ways. It's one thing to say something, and it's another to do it and to have your actions reflect what you say. The truth is that commitment to God is going to take strength and courage. Right away in verse 7, we see this command to be strong and courageous, and it's repeated throughout the entire book of Joshua. If we want to see God's promises fulfilled, we have the guarantee that, yes, he'll be faithful, but that doesn't mean that our path is always going to be easy. If you ever thought that becoming a Christian means all your promises go away, you don't really think that for a long time because you discover quite quickly, hey, my promises are true, but my life isn't totally perfect and easy all the time. For Joshua and the Israelites, yes, they were promised the great promised land, the land of Canaan, but they knew that people were already inhabiting this land. For them to take over, for them to conquer, there were going to be battles and significant challenges ahead. Joshua needed strength and courage to be committed to following God, even in the face of adversity. Pursuing the promises of God is rarely going to take you down the path of least resistance. We prefer that path, but that's not always, and in fact, it's rarely how that works. Our commitment to God is going to be tested when we face obstacles in opposition, When pursuing the promises of God and what he wants to do in us, when that means taking a risk or stepping out of our comfort zone or doing something that we're not exactly, it's not familiar territory, when we do those things, we must be strong and courageous. If you remember back when Moses first sent the spies to go and scope out the land, you might recall that they came back and everybody except for Joshua and Caleb had bad news. They said, I don't think we can do this. They didn't have the faith that they needed, but Joshua and Caleb had strength and courage. In addition to strength and courage, our commitment to God is truly demonstrated by our obedience to him. In the rest of verse seven that we just read a moment ago, we can see God telling Joshua to be careful to obey everything that the law says and not to stray so that he would be successful. So being obedient to God is gonna mean that we listen And then we act immediately without delay. I remember some time growing up, some instances, and my parents can attest to this. There'd be moments where they would tell me to do one of my chores, like, Brendan, you need to take the trash out or clean your room. And a couple times I was foolish enough to say something like, in a minute, or I'll do it later. If you've ever tried that, you know, it usually doesn't work very well. But their typical response would be, no, you need to do it now. And if I was ever foolish enough to offer up any other retort or excuse, they would tell me, and it sticks with me. I have nightmares. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I remember them saying, delayed obedience is disobedience. Mom, how many times did you tell me that? Too many, unfortunately. But delayed obedience is disobedience. And they made it clear that there would be consequences if I continued to disobey. We can't say that we're committed to God if we don't obey him. If we're not willing to do what he says, rarely with our words or our actions do we tell God, hey, I'll get around to it, I'll do it later. But what do our actions say? What are we saying with our lives? Do our actions demonstrate our commitment to him? When God spoke to Joshua, we can see that Joshua didn't delay. He obeyed immediately. He's instructed, and then right away in Joshua 1, verse 10, it says, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people Go through the camp and tell the people, get ready. Three days from now, we're going to cross the Jordan and take possession of the land so we can see this immediate response. Immediate obedience shows that we love God, shows that we're committed to him. And I also feel that it's important to note that Joshua is instructed to be careful to obey, not because he's worried about the punishment that if he, if he disobeys, he's not so much focused on the punishment, but it tells us, so that you will be successful In what you do. So when we obey God, it's not just because we're worried that he's going to punish us, but it's because God wants us to be successful in what we do. How can we possibly expect God to bless us? How can we expect him to give us his favor if we're not living in true obedience? If we're to obey God, if we want to do what he says, it should be rather obvious that we need to know what he says. How can I be obedient if I'm not sure what he's instructing me to do So right away, we can see that not only is our commitment to God demonstrated by being strong and courageous and by obeying immediately, but it's also demonstrated by the way that we interact with the Word of God. How do we value the Word? How do we study it and learn it and then obey it? We're to carefully make sure we're living in accordance to all that God tells us to do, and when we do that, we'll be successful. Before we move on to our next point, there's a great quote by a Bible commentator by the name of James Boyce. And he says, according to the Bible, the secret of success is to know God's word, speak about it, meditate on it, and then above all, do it. We don't have time to talk about all the different expressions of how we can obey God, but this is an incredible record of Joshua living in complete obedience to God. And when we get into this great book, we can see how God is so faithful and he does give him success and helps him to be successful and God keeps his promises. Being committed to God means that we're going to have the strength and the courage to get through difficult times and the difficult seasons. And it means that when we're fully obedient to him, we're passionate about his word. If we want to see God's promises fulfilled, the first best practice is to be committed to God The second best practice is to be confident. Being confident is to have faith that God is going to do what he says he will do and making decisions that reflect that confidence. This is the type of confidence that doesn't just stay in your head, but it leads to action. I want to keep moving in the book of Joshua, and we'll see how this is demonstrated. For the sake of time, we're going to fast forward, and my hope is that while I do an overview, if you're not familiar with the story, you'll take time to dive deeper on your own. So in chapter 1, we can see Joshua being set up as the leader of God's people, and he's given instruction to get ready to enter the promised land. In chapter 2, Joshua sends these spies to Jericho, and it's the great story of Rahab who hides the spies so that they're not caught. The spies come back to to Joshua and the Israelites, and they say, the Lord has surely given them the land and that they should proceed." In chapter 3, they move out towards the Jordan River, and they make preparations to get ready to cross into the promised land. First of all, we need to be confident about what God will do in the future. We need to believe that God has something great in store. And there's a passage in Joshua 3, verse 5, that is so powerful. It says, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You know, as Joshua was experiencing all of this, as he's being told by God that this great promise is about to be fulfilled, I want to know more about what he's thinking. We don't get to see a whole lot about what's going on in his mind, but I'm determined that when I get to heaven, I want to ask him, Joshua, what was going through your head when you finally knew that this promise given to your ancestors is about to be fulfilled? If I had to guess, I would assume he's thinking about his past, the journey that they've been on, the wilderness wandering, and then I bet he's thinking about the future as well, about what God is going to have in store. I imagine he's picturing future generations reaping the incredible benefits of the promised land, this land that they were waiting for. You know, either way, we see him confidently telling the Israelites, get ready, because God is going to do something amazing. If we want to see the promises of God fulfilled, then like Joshua, we need to be confident about God, about what he can do in the future? What if we had that attitude like, God, I know tomorrow you're going to do something amazing in my life. As I read this verse, some questions that naturally pop into my mind is, do I believe that God is truly ready to do something in my life? Do I really believe it? It's easy to say, it's easy to read, but do I believe that he's going to do something amazing? The next question is, where do I want to see God do something amazing? In my church? in my relationships, in my own personal walk with God? The answer is yes, I want to see God do something amazing. And if, if that's the case, am I living my life as if this is true? Do I have that outlook that says, God, I believe, I trust in you, that you are going to do something amazing. I'm confident in you. As I confident, confidently believe that God does want to do something in my life, I find myself naturally moving from thought to action I start praying and saying, God, I want to partner with you to see these things fulfilled in my life. If you want to do something amazing in me, Lord, help me to not get in the way. Help me to partner with you. If you want to reach my coworkers with the gospel, use me. Help me to partner with you to see that accomplished. I find myself preparing and praying that God would do what only he could do in my life. And when I do that, it boosts my faith, and I find myself just getting ready to receive from God. Not only can we be confident about what God is going to do, but we should also develop the habit of looking back and becoming confident because of what God has already done. If God's been faithful in your life, reflect on that. Look back. Note the times that he's been faithful to you. Joshua told the Israelites that God was going to do something amazing, and he certainly did. The Israelites are instructed to take the Ark of the Covenant, to walk with it, and to enter into the Jordan River during flood season, I might add. And as they entered, God caused the waters to part, and they're able to walk across on dry ground. After this happened, God told Joshua and the Israelites to do something specific, and that's what I want to focus in on for the next moment. Look with me at Joshua 4 4 through 7. We see God telling them to do something very specific. It says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men that he'd appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God to the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So God instructed them to build a memorial, to find something, to build something that they could look at. And every time they look at it, they'd be reminded of God's incredible faithfulness. When their kids and future generations looked at it, they could tell them the story of what god had done i believe that we should apply this concept to our lives as well it's one thing to know yeah i believe that god has been faithful he has it's another thing to build a type of memorial it doesn't mean you have to go out and stack rocks necessarily if you want to that's totally fine but i'll tell you one thing that i do i've got a number of bibles that i keep and every time i look at them i'm reminded of the faithfulness of god I've got some that my dad gave me growing up. I've got one for my grandma, and those remind me of how grateful I am to be part of a godly legacy. This one I bought right before I was ordained into the ministry, and every time I look at it, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness in my life. I'll try not to get emotional, but God has been so good to me. So every time I look at these Bibles, that's my memorial. How can I doubt God when I've got these reminders of God's incredible faithfulness? If you're artistic, create something. If you like to write in a journal, do that. But whatever you do, make a practice of memorializing the faithfulness of God so that when you look at it, you have a physical reminder of what God has done. When you do those things, when we reflect on our past and the times that God's been faithful, not only does it encourage, but it helps us to have increased faith and believe that God is gonna do something again. If God's been faithful in the past, yes, he'll be faithful for the future as well. We've seen that if we want to see God's promises fulfilled, and like Joshua, we need to be committed. We've also seen that we need to be confident, and our last best practice for today is an admonition to never compromise. Just to be clear, when I say compromise, I'm talking about that in the negative sense, not the positive sense, which means to come to an agreement, but We'll look at a couple examples of what it looks like to compromise in that negative sense. First of all, I believe that we compromise when we settle for less than what God has for us. When we settle in our lives, can you imagine if the Israelites, after crossing the Jordan, they're finally in the promised land. What if they looked at each other and said, we made it. Let's settle right here on the beach. We're in the promised land. That would be such an undercutting of what God is trying to do. They'd be selling themselves short and missing out on the fullness of God because he'd been promised, Joshua and the Israelites, that every place that they set their foot would become theirs. So there's no way that they're going to settle on the beach. When we settle for less than what God has for us, we're trying to put God in a box, and we're failing to recognize how big he truly is. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Paul was well aware that God's total ability far exceeds our total comprehension. We can't put God in a box because he's able to do more than we can even ask, think, or imagine. Because of this... We should remain in a posture, in an attitude that's ready to receive more from God, not because we feel a sense of entitlement, but because we know that God is able, that God has the power to move in significant ways in our lives. Like Joshua, we can't settle for less than what God has for us. Another way that we compromise is when we give in to sin. When we allow sin to get a foothold in our lives, we're making a dangerous compromise. We'll look at the example from the Israelites here. After they successfully crossed the Jordan, the next significant event is the fall of Jericho. And you may be familiar with that story. We're not going to take the time to look at it, but it's in Joshua chapter 6. We're going to look at just one verse. Basically, they're instructed to march around the city in a specific way, just as God told them. And then they see the walls fall down. It's a miraculous event that takes place. We're not going to read the full account, like I said, but there's two verses, one from 6 and one from 7, where we can see a glimpse of compromise that might look on the surface like it's not a big deal, but the consequences are actually incredibly significant. Joshua 6.17 sets up the, the context. It says, The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord, only Rahab and all who are with her in the house shall be spared, because she hid the spies that we sent. So for the city to be devoted to the Lord, that's actually a Hebrew term, meaning that something is fully given to God, and often it, in, it meant the total destruction of an item or a city like the city of Jericho. Now let's look at Joshua 7.1. It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So they were instructed, everything needs to be devoted to God and to be destroyed. But Achan sees some items and he keeps it for himself and tries to hide it from others. The rest of of chapter 7 talks about the brutal consequences that take place because of this compromise of sin a snippet of it is that the Israelites went to battle with the city of Ai and they thought it was going to be easy so they only sent a few thousand men and unfortunately they were defeated. They were sent back running and when they approached God and said, God, I thought you said you were going to give us success. What happened? God makes it clear that there was a sin compromise and until they made it right, God was not going to bless them or help them. One of the most dangerous things about sin is that it has this terrible ability to look like it's not a big deal. I'm incredibly thankful for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ, and I love the emphasis that the church gives to forgiveness. That should be shouted from the rooftop, but I worry sometimes that the church doesn't often emphasize holiness the way that we need to. Yes, we have forgiveness, but we're called to be holy because our God is holy there's no such thing as sin that's not a big deal because of the absolute holiness of God. We need to see sin as abhorrent, as a toxin that when it's in, it disrupts our relationships, it damages the intimacy that we have with God. You would never look to yourself from a medical perspective and say, oh, it's just a little bit of cancer. It's not a big deal. Or if, God forbid, you have a fire in your house, you're not going to say, oh, it's just a small one, it's just in the kitchen, it's not a big deal. We would never do that, and yet... With sin, sometimes we say, it's not that big a deal. But it truly, truly is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So with God's promises in mind and out of recognition of his incredible holiness— we should seek to purify ourselves and to be holy as God is holy. Well, we've seen this morning that if we want to pursue the promises of God and partner with him to see his will truly be accomplished, we must be committed, be confident, and never compromise. We've barely scratched the surface of the incredible account of Joshua, but I trust that if you're not familiar with the story, that you would take the time to study it because it's so incredible and so applicable to our lives as well. I want to invite the worship team to come at this time, and I want to close just by jumping all the way to the end of this great book. Basically, at this point, the Israelites have conquered the land. They've divided the, the territory up among the different tribes, and Joshua recognizes that now as an old man, his time on earth is coming to an end. Joshua 23, 14 says this. This is the words of Joshua. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. This verse is a beautiful tribute to God's faithfulness. And as we prepare to respond with worship, I want to ask you, what about you? Whether you're younger or you're older, as you look at your life, can you see the faithfulness of God demonstrated? God has promises for us, and they're truly better than anything we can imagine or fully understand. My prayer is that you would walk with God into a season of incredible fruitfulness where you'd be able to see the faithfulness of God fulfilled. You'd see fulfilled promises. Like Joshua, we need to be committed, confident, and never compromise. So as we worship, let's allow this time to be an opportunity to renew that commitment to God. Say, God, even if my circumstances are difficult or I face adversity, I will be committed to you. I'll be obedient. Let's allow this to be an opportunity where we have confidence in God, where we say, God, I believe that my best days with you are ahead, not just behind. And finally, let's allow this to be a moment where the Holy Spirit can shine a spotlight to illuminate any places of compromise within us and we can repent in this moment. Choose today to pursue God's promises. Choose today to identify what God tells you in his word. Faithfully plant your feet on those promises and partner with him to see his will accomplished in your life. The altars are open at this time, and I want to lead us in prayer, and I'd invite you to pray and to worship and respond, but let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word, for the account of Joshua that we can look to his life and discover best practices for how we're to live. God, I pray that we'd be committed to you in very tangible ways, that we'd be obedient, even if it's difficult, even in adverse circumstances, we'd be obedient and committed to you. That, Lord, we'd be confident by looking at how you've been faithful in the past, and we'd believe in you for great things to come tomorrow. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us any of those areas of compromise, and that we would just repent, receive the forgiveness, and, Lord, partner with you to see holiness become a part of our lives. So God, as we worship you, I just pray that you'd continue to minister to us, that this would be an opportunity for us to connect with you, to commit to you, and to do the things that you're calling us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd invite you to stand at this time as we worship, and again, the altars are open if you'd like to come, and I'd be happy to pray with you as well.